but I can have all of these things in place, video cameras, armed security guards. I could have the two adult rule. But if I have two adults who don't understand what grooming is, it's amazing how quickly the grooming happens. They just didn't know what they were looking for. Hello and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Counsel and an ordained pastor. Josh, today is our second part interview with Gregory Love that you did. And I will say, I mean, that if you haven't listened to the first first part of this, definitely go back and, and review that and then obviously come back to this episode because it is just so impactful and really the the burden on us as church leaders is is real uh, to protect uh, the young ones in our church to really look out uh, really for the stuff that is just it's it's in part of this broken world right and it, and it comes into the church and that's something that we we have to protect um, uh, we have to protect our ministries and our kids and our, our children and the people that are in our church and our congregation and so um, kind of what are your what are your thoughts on on this interview uh, with Gregory Love? Yeah, you know, last week one of the things that he said uh, was that as church leaders we are shepherds, uh, as pastors we're shepherds, um, and we don't um, just tend to the flock. Uh, sometimes we actually have to protect them, and we put walls around them. Uh, and you know, one of the things that he said uh, that I loved was, uh, "You can't not look out for the wolves." And I certainly don't want to find out that you're a wolf by watching you eat one of my sheep uh, that God has entrusted to us. And so it's important that we know what to look for. And and ultimately, I loved, uh, again, that that idea of building a wall. We talked about Nehemiah 2.17, one of my favorite verses as I've gotten into this uh, practice of helping churches with uh, their legal needs. Uh, but it says this, So I said to them, You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned down. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. And we talked about how we're there. Uh, as a church, our walls are broken. We're vulnerable. Uh, this is an area where we're subject to constant attack from our enemy, but also from uh, people who would harm our children, from people who would sue our church um, because their children were harmed. And it just puts the church in the middle uh, and in a crossfire. We've got to be careful not to protect the church per se, that's important, but we've got to protect our kids. We've got to protect the vulnerable people who come to our church. You know, anytime we're building a wall, though, especially when you're building a wall around a city, you've got to have a foundation. You've got to have footings on that wall, right? Uh, And the foundation that we're going to talk about here today that everybody needs to pay attention to uh, as Gregory Love walks us through this process of asking the right questions and looking for the right things is we've got to make sure that we are conducting awareness training and that we are aware. And you know, a lot of times that that particular phrase can have kind of a bad connotation to it, uh, awareness training. It, it kind of, okay, well, great, what are we going to talk about now? We're going to be sitting around singing Kumbaya and, and hugging on each other. No, when we're talking about awareness training, we need to be aware of what it looks like for a person to prepare a child to be abused. This is not just uh, somebody waking up in the morning and saying, hey, I'm going to go abuse a child. There is a process, and it has been observed, and it has mm-hmm. been documented. And we've got to know what that process is. One of the things Gregory says here is, you know, I've spent 26 years looking over train wrecks. And if I know what causes a train to wreck, I can help churches prevent it from happening. 
And so we've got to listen to what Gregory has to say and follow those steps uh, and, and make sure we know what to look for so that the train that is our church does not crash. And we need to have have eyes to see that. We need to have ears to hear it and what's going on. We need to have a mouth to report it. And you're going to hear Gregory talk about that as well. Absolutely. Very, very good stuff. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into the interview. Well, we are excited today to have Gregory Love back. Gregory leads uh, Ministry Safe, uh, which is definitely an industry leader uh, in helping churches protect children. Uh, and so we want to jump into some more questions. Last week, we uh, established that uh, it's just not enough to run a background check. You've got to do it, but it's not enough to run a background check. And so we want to dive a little bit deeper this week and talk through what is enough. Uh, and so, uh, Gregory, if you could, Tell us, what is the answer after seeing 26 years of these patterns? Yeah, let me back up and give you, here's what we need to know so that the answer becomes clear. It's almost like in high school algebra, you know, you check the back of the math book. Okay, when you have a hard problem to work, it's always valuable to know in advance, what's the answer that way, as I work the problem, it didn't tell me how to work the problem, but at least lets me know where I'm supposed to land the plane. Right. Okay. So in this very difficult problem, what we need to understand is the answer at the back of the math book is the grooming process. Okay. The grooming process is the key. All right. Now, once again, I haven't told you how to work the problem, but I've told you what the answer is in advance, which begs the question, what is grooming and who grooms? Now it's also important to dispel another myth in the church. We talked about background checks and what they do and don't give us last time we visited. But the next most important thing the church needs to understand before they can understand the answer is there's more than one type of sexual abuser. Okay, There's actually four types, but we need to distinguish between two. One is the abduction offender. Okay, it's your snatch and grab. They get you the alerts on your phone. You see the signs on the highway. You hear about the story in the news, and it ends a few days later, and it's usually awful. Okay? Yeah. Of the waterfront of child sexual abuse, which is an enormous problem, one out of five Americans has been victimized before he or she was 18, hmm. only 4% of the time is the problem the abduction offender. Okay? Now, contrast that with what's called the preferential offender. Okay, now the preferential offender could be male or female, look like you or me, have an age-appropriate adult willing to have sex with them, but prefers a child as a sexual partner. Okay, makes no sense to me. It's not just any child, it's a child within an age and sex of preference. Okay, so Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, okay, preferential offender, and he preferred boys ages 9 to 14. Larry Nasser, USA Gymnastics, preferential offender, he preferred girls ages 8 to 15. Okay, so you see there's a narrowness to the deviance, but see on the waterfront of child sexual abuse, the preferential offender represents 94% of the problem. Now, the last time we visited, we talked about the fact that you're building the wrong fence. Here's where we kind of put all that together. The wrong fence is, see, the church is building a fence to protect children from the abduction offender, not the preferential offender. We have a beautiful barbed wire fence up and bunnies are destroying our gardens, okay? So take your child check-in system, all right? Does child check-in system have value? Well, it depends on what fence it's meant to prevent, okay? Mm -hmm. See, a child check-in system is absolutely worthless at helping you on the preferential offender. It's very valuable against your abduction offender. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So once the church understands there's two different risks, now on the abduction offender, you know what I tell most of my churches? You're doing a great job. Whatever you're doing, you're killing it. Keep it up. How do I know that? Because I don't read headlines of people abducting children out of churches. Right. So whatever we're doing, it's working. Now the question I would want to ask you is, what are you doing to protect children from the preferential offender? That's where the answer at the back of the math book now can make sense. You see, the preferential offender has patterns. There's grooming behavior, okay? The grooming of the child and the grooming of the gatekeepers, right? There's a new term for most churches. What is a gatekeeper, okay? Youth workers, parents, teachers, coaches, anybody through whom the abuser has to go to gain access to a child is a gatekeeper. So the patterns, which is critical that the church needs to understand, is this grooming of the child, they can look different depending on the age, sex, and circumstance of the child and the grooming of the gatekeepers. Because when I stand over train wrecks, Josh, it's amazing how many people, this is a situation of first impression, mm-hmm. even though this has been going on for 35, 45 years. But when they wake up to their own set of facts and then they start learning information about the preferential offender, then everybody's looking at me like, Greg, you know what? Now that you mention it, Here's all the things I should have seen. I just didn't take the time to learn what this is. Yeah. All right. So with that framework set, the better question is, what do I do to protect my children from the preferential offender? And the answer to that, in my opinion, is you do some things on the front side of the sheep pen gate to determine, does somebody have wolf-like qualities? Okay, there's your screening. Mm-hmm. And then you do something. Once you determine someone doesn't have wolf-like qualities, then some of your effort actually happens within your sheep pen. Remember, grooming is the key. So once my churches understand grooming, they understand how the child comes under attack. Now I know how to build a fence. So on the front side of the sheep pen gate, I want to see my church's screening and training. Okay, when I say screening, what do I mean by that? We can go into any one of these in more detail as you have need or you have one follow-up. But screening is application reference checks interview and a background check. Mm-hmm. Now, people tell me, oh, Greg, we're screening. We're doing a background check. No, 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 no. You're doing a part of screening that only gets 4% of those that might want to hurt our children. Okay. Training on the front side of the sheep pen gate. What I mean is training as a part of onboarding. Okay. Tell you what, why don't I finish describing that and you can drill into what you feel like is most valuable for your listeners. Okay. Okay. So training on the front side of the sheep pen gate, right? So once you do the work on the front side of the sheep pen gate, knowing that the church stinks at screening, okay? Now I have need in my sheep pen, right? Now your policies and procedures take over because your policies and procedures should be rooted in the grooming process. And it should be tailored to your particular program. The policies and procedures is what describes what is and is not appropriate behavior in the sheep pen from shepherd to sheep and sheep to sheep for a thing called peer-to-peer sexual abuse, okay? So this must be rooted in the grooming process because, once again, that's what you're trying to prevent. And you must understand grooming if you're truly going to communicate to your people, this is what I want you to see that's the problematic behavior before someone's nude with a child. Mm. So if somebody asked me for that in list form, I'd tell you you need to be doing, you know, sexual abuse awareness training as your foundation. Right. Your screening, which comes with those elements that I listed for you, your, your criminal background check, I always make that separate so people don't check that box and think they've screened. 
your tailored policies and procedures, and your system for monitoring and oversight, which is that thing that lawyers say, it's what you do, not what you say you do. So that's my way of saying how to make something sustainable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had uh, Todd Adkins on from uh, Lifeway Leadership a couple of weeks ago and talked through uh, this idea of a leadership pipeline. Uh, And one of the things I like about having one of those pipelines is that it insists that you've got proper supervision and accountability before you move somebody into a particular position. And, um, we, you know, we talked through this whole idea of negligent hiring and negligent supervision and negligent retention. And what a lot of people think is, well, that only applies to employees. Uh, and because of the Volunteer Protection Act and similar state level uh, legislation, that's just not the case. Uh, you can, you can get, uh, find, find yourself in court and in legal liability for negligent supervision if you let the sheep into the pen and just let them roam free without the shepherd supervising and doing oversight, which, by the way, is required of us in Scripture when we're talking about what the duties of uh, the elder or the overseer or the pastor are. So uh, very important that we we do those things. Um, and now Ministry Safe has a whole lot of training uh, available that you guys uh, can do on a web-based platform. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. Well, what, what, what is awareness tracing and why is that so foundational? We talked about the grooming process. We know that's kind of the key, but why is that so foundational to uh, what uh, churches need to do in terms of continuing to screen their volunteers? Okay, the awareness training, and I want to make sure I don't miscommunicate, because earlier I told you the answer at the back of the math book is grooming process, and now I've told you awareness training is foundational and fundamental. The awareness training is the training that delivers information about grooming. Okay, so that's the training that that provides not just leadership, but those people that wear your name tag with the information about facts versus misconceptions about an abuser. Okay, abuser characteristics, the grooming process, common grooming behavior, peer to peer sexual abuse, the importance of reporting and the impact of abuse on a child. Okay, that is the core content that I need my leaders to have as they design the fence. And that's the information I also need everyone who wears a name tag to understand so they know how they participate in the fence, okay? Mm -hmm. So the awareness training is, if you did everything in that list that I gave you earlier, but you're not doing awareness training, I tell you, you failed. And that's from pure standing over train wrecks when people give me the list of what they're doing, but I can have all of these things in place, video cameras, armed security guards. I could have the two adult rule. But if I have two adults who don't understand what grooming is, it's amazing how quickly the grooming happens. They just didn't know what they were looking for. Right. But once you give people eyes to see and ears to hear and instruct them to use the mouth, now you have a chance to have a everybody now recognizes what I need them to see. And what I want to do is take the opportunity is give people the training to help them understand how not just grooming unfolds generally, but to know that grooming looks different depending on the age, sex, and circumstance of the child. What do I mean by that? Just a quick flyby. When I've got, you know, male molester and a male victim that's a teenager, what am I going to find? Okay, there's patterns. Alcohol, tobacco, porn, weed, and horseplay. If it's a teenage girl, I'm not going to find pornography. Girls are not wired visually. They're wired emotionally for a relationship. So I'm going to find forms of communication, usually electronic communication, mm-hmm. Facebook, Snapchat, texting, you know, FaceTime, Skype. Okay. So 
knowing that helps me in my program to know what to build, what my policy and procedures need to say. If I'm talking about a pre-K, that's, there's five-year-olds. Okay? If somebody wants to groom a five-year-old, I'm not going to find alcohol, tobacco, porn, weed, and Snapchat. Five-year-old's not there yet. I'm going to find forms of playful touch, forms of isolation. I'm going to be focused on the bathroom at that point very heavily. Okay, so the more I understand about grooming, the more I understand what programs I have that need what protections. Now, when I draft my policies and procedures, it's coming from an understanding of the risk these policies are meant to address. Now, when I'm providing my screening, I'm looking for grooming offenses. Okay, I'm looking for things that now that's my risk. So the more I understand about that risk, the more this safety system takes life. We're going to take a quick break. Josh, tell us our featured resource for today. Well, uh, since we have Gregory Love uh, on the podcast, we're going to make Ministry Safe our featured resource. Ministry Safe has a mission of protecting children and those who serve them. It was created by legal professionals who are sexual abuse experts. After decades of litigating sexual abuse cases, Gregory Love and Kimberly Norris founded Ministry Safe to help ministries meet legal standards of care and reduce the risk of sexual abuse by creating preventative measures tailored to fit the needs of churches and ministry programs. With over 50 years combined experience in sexual abuse litigation, consultation, and crisis management, Love and Norris understand the risk of sexual abuse and how it unfolds in children's programming. Since Ministry Safe's inception, more than 16,000 organizations have trained over 1 million staff members and volunteers on six continents in various languages. On average, Ministry Safe trains 25,000 to 30,000 people a month, live and online. Their mission is to prevent child sexual abuse in all ministry contexts. And at Ministry Safe, they can help you protect children and those who serve them. That's a fantastic resource. Let's go ahead and get back to the interview. That's a, that's a lot of good information. Let me let me ask you this. You know, one of the things that when I was on pastoral staff that I would hear somewhat frequently uh, is I've been going to church here for 25 years, and you're telling me you got a you, you want a background check on me, uh, and people get real offended when all of a sudden you tell them, "Hey, we're going to run a background check." How I'm sure you probably get similar responses. Uh, what, what are some things that you're telling pastors and uh, how to handle that particular situation? Um, I would say that when that issue arose 10, 15 years ago, before we had this massive culture shift, I would try to help them message it. And I don't want to say marketing. It's almost like we don't market the gospel. Okay. I mean, it's just give instruction that a lot of it is like, you know, <laughs> hey, you know what? Your kid and my kid are the most important things to me. And we're going to do this for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. We're going to raise the bar because our kids deserve our best. I can give you all kinds of talking points. But if I get that pushback now, Josh, with what we've seen in the Me Too movement, the At Church Too, the Caring Well, that's a red flag to me. Yeah. When you get those people that you're giving me that kind of attitude, I don't need you on my team. Yeah. I'll try to explain. If I'm still getting pushback, generally I tell you, you know what? Maybe this isn't a good fit anymore and we can use you in the parking ministry or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So really the way that unfolds in unhealthy ways for me is when we have people that, for example, are, are working with toddlers, especially men. And you start saying, hey, we're going to start doing this and training and wait a minute. Never. I have a right to change diapers. 
And you're just like, come on, say what? Yeah. I mean, some of those things are red flags for us now. And if it's not a red flag, it's really just surrounding yourself with people that have to understand the why behind why we're doing this, or we just can't use them. I can't fight you on child protection. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not negotiable. Right. <laughs> it's not Un- unapologetic. Yeah. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Well, listen, how does Ministry Safe help ministries uh, and churches address this problem of child sexual abuse in the church? What, do you, what can you guys do for churches? Okay, what's unique about us, Josh, is I didn't, I didn't, I'm not a, I do background checks, okay, because I know that's one of the pieces in that safety system that churches have to have. But that's not who I am and what I do. We started this from an understanding of the risk standpoint. And just by the way, I'm in my 26th year of student ministry at Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth. What's the point? I'm in church leadership. I'm not going to write things from my leather chair and just hand it to people and just tell them I'm smart. What I really need to do is help them understand. I understand this risk. I understand the church. I understand these respective forms of ministry. What I want to do is start at what you need. I'll develop that. Okay, I know you need to train people, and I know what you need to train them to understand. I'll create that. I understand the environment of the church, so I'll create a system that accommodates the church. Now, I also wrote Safe Sport for the United States Olympic Committee. Okay, I work with nonprofits all over the North America, but my heart beats fastest for the church. So what we did is, with an understanding of the need, we built the system it's a glove that fits the church that delivers what I believe the church needs to employ to protect children. So in our system, which has a yearly fee, that people have access to all the forms, okay, your sample policy forms. But there's different policy forms since I've just told you that grooming unfolds different in youth ministry than it does in children's ministry, that it does in an overnight camp, than it does in youth sports or a daycare. There's different sample policies, all rooted in grooming of that particular age and sex of child, that allows you to have a starting place that also dovetails with the awareness training. There's also all the screening forms that have the questions on it that are designed to elicit high-risk indicators for a preferential offender. But not just giving you the forms that have the right questions on it, but providing you the training and understanding what are the high-risk indicators So that you as a lawyer would understand the last thing I want to do is give you the tools to gather all the information and you not know that everything in this file was screaming perp and you didn't get the understanding of what the answers to the questions were that were problematic. Okay, so it's all of the things that I know the church needs from training, sample forms, the ability to run a background check and do it all from one easy to use portal, because in many times and you know this as well, 90 percent of churches are less than 90 people. I can't create something anticipating somebody has two CPAs and a general counsel to be able to shepherd this type of system. It has to be usable on the bottom shelf. So we spent a lot of time, energy, and resources to make it extremely usable. So it's made by ministry leaders for ministry leaders from sexual abuse professionals so that churches can understand and rely on my expertise and I can chew up the food as much as possible to give it to them with the highest likelihood that they can implement what I tell them is appropriate. Yeah, that is great stuff. And, and, you know, you guys are the industry leaders. You guys have, have really established yourself in that this niche field. And, and, and ultimately, we've got to be better as a church. You know, I've done a little bit of survey work. And the, when, I, when I ask 
churches about their um, child sexual abuse policies and some of the things that that we've talked about are just baseline. The the numbers I've gotten these are by no way scientific, but the numbers that I've gotten is about forty five to forty eight percent will tell me that they have some of these baseline things like background checks and the two adult rule and things like that. And that's just the basics. That's not even talking about this, this awareness training and, and walking through the grooming process. So uh, certainly listeners are encouraged out there to go and, and connect with Ministry Safe. Uh, they're going to be a great resource for your church. Gregory, one last question before we wrap up. If you have a couple minutes, what is, what are some things that churches need to know and need to do in the event that they get an allegation of child sexual abuse in the church? Okay. Some of the top few things that I would want them to know is when in doubt, report. Yeah. Okay, peer-to-peer sexual abuse, it's reportable. Yep. If you dunk, well, you know, it's a clergy privilege. Forget all that clergy privilege stuff. In many states, the clergy privilege is going away. When in doubt, report. And if you have a doubt, call a lawyer who understands the answers to these questions. Most of the people I'm digging out of ditches had called a lawyer and got bad advice, okay? So when in doubt, report. Second of all, you need to understand that the clock is ticking. You need to have an approach to what you do, what you say, how you message this to your family that's victim-centric, not organization-centric and not abuser-centric. And what I mean by just a quick example of that. An abuser-centric response, one I tried, I undid just three days ago for a church that had to share with their congregation that one of their high-level pastoral staff was arrested for sexual abuse, okay, and they had to remove him. Their response was, you know, gosh, he's been with us for 26 years. He's a good man. Let's all be praying for his wife and his family while they go through this period of hardship. It's like, no, you don't say that. Yeah. That is an abuser-centric viewpoint of this because you have no idea that 95% of the people that you're addressing have either been sexually abused or married to someone who's been sexually abused or have someone very dear to them that's been sexually abused. See, when you use that kind of messaging, what you're asking them to do is join you in an orientation that comes alongside the abuser, not the abused. Okay, Our viewpoint is victim-centric. Okay, and I can unpack a little bit more for that if your listeners want more later. And then the last thing I would tell you is do not overlook the importance of notifying your insurance carrier. Right. Okay. Every one of your policies is going to have a clause in it that says if you gain facts that could give rise to a claim, you're to notify us immediately or within 24 hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. You'll get people that will get an allegation, handle it best they can or not know that this was something that could have given rise to a claim because it was peer-to-peer or it was a volunteer or they thought it was outside the statute of limitations and they won't notify their carrier. Then it blows up in their face 18 months later and the carrier writes you a letter saying you failed under your contractual obligations to give us notice of this when you had notice. Therefore, we're going to remove our coverage. And that that's a nightmare situation. So now you're fighting your carrier when that should be your best friend to navigate a crisis. So when in doubt report, do not take an organizational or victim, I mean, an abuser centric viewpoint in your messaging and make sure you notify your carrier. That's just three things that come to mind, Josh. Yeah. yeah. All that stuff is great, uh, great information. You know, one thing that I tell pastors on, on top of all those things, it, it don't do the investigation yourself. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, want to just sit down and talk to the kid uh, that's been abused. And that's a horrible, horrible thing to do. Um, in, in, in essence, there are experts out there who know how to do forensic interviews of children, and pastors are not those experts. 
the vast majority of times. Uh, and so, you know, don't, don't necessarily get into there where you're talking to a child and interrogating them or, or asking them any questions about what happened. Um, take the report, see what you've got, make the report to the child abuse hotline, um, always erring on the side of making the report, um, and, and then let the professionals handle that at that point. Um, you know, and I, I've gotten to a point where, where when somebody calls me and says, hey, we've had this, this allegation, and if it doesn't involve a child, I tell them, no, I'm not going to do any, you know, you're not going to do anything. They ask me what to do. And I say nothing. I'll be there tomorrow or day after tomorrow or whatever. So that they can focus on the ministry of the word and prayer like Acts 6-4 tells them to do. And uh, you've got somebody who's not going, who's going to have to pick a side, but doesn't have to stay in that shepherding role after the fact. Uh, and so, it's important to stay um, as above the phrase you possibly can, but when it involves a child, you've got to make that report all the time. You got to make that report. So, Gregory, thanks so much. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to add on top of all this? Last thing I would say, it's kind of in light of I agree with everything you just said, but when you get one of these allegations, when you see that that tip of the iceberg, get good legal advice, get it quickly. Call me before you do something, not in the midst of it, and not just me. There are some lawyers out there, you know, like you, Josh, that are good at this. Don't just call any lawyer because they happen to be at the church. They happen to be on the board. Find someone who knows the answers and is good at church law to navigate this because this is one of those circumstances you just can't be wrong. Yeah. An allegation that might not even necessarily unfold in your church, but it comes to your attention from outside. You can still get in the ditch by mishandling it. Get good legal advice and get it quickly. Yeah, that's 100 percent right. There's so many nuances when the church is involved uh, and especially just with public opinion and, and just how public uh, these issues have become here recently. It's just it's so necessary to make sure you've got uh, got your team of professionals on board and get them involved early. You yes. know, the last time we did a, a churches in court uh, episode. We do that every month. Uh, but the one that we did month of September, it was very, very clear uh, in multiple cases where there were reported opinions of churches in court that people just didn't get their professionals involved soon enough, where, be it an attorney or an accountant or a real estate expert. Uh, and by the time they got that expert involved, it was too late. Uh, and we're doing damage control, not prevention at that point. And so couldn't, couldn't agree with that more. So Gregory, thank you so much for spending the last couple of weeks with us on this. Uh, we look forward to hopefully having you back on the podcast soon. Uh, certainly listeners reach out to ministry safe, uh, take advantage of what they offer the church. They are a great, uh, asset to God's kingdom. Uh, and we look forward to continue to work with them as well. And we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Beautiful. Thanks, Josh. This is just heavy, heavy stuff, Josh, but it's so needed, and that uh, was such a great interview. What are kind of your final thoughts on that? You know, if you don't take anything else uh, away from these uh, two past episodes, this two-part episode on sexual abuse in the church, take this. Get help. This is not something to do on your own. This is not something that we can mess up. So go call Ministry Safe. Go call your local child advocacy center. They'll send people out to help train you on on what it looks like to to groom a child and prepare that child for an abusive uh, situation. Call your local law enforcement. Call your your uh, local uh, human services office. Whatever it takes, get the help that you need in order to do this right. We cannot mess this up. And certainly, 
give us a call here at Church General Council. We're here to help um, prevent the same things. We're here to build the right walls and build the right fences around our congregations, not to keep the lost out, but to keep those who would harm our children and harm our church uh, out and to protect our people. Uh, certainly, again, um, th- this will be the last week that this is up, but you can go to churchgeneralcouncil.com backslash 10CIC. Uh, you can see that link in the show notes. That's a great place to go, and you'll have access to sample forms and sample documents and processes uh, and some training videos in which you'll actually be able to uh, use those, modify those, customize those for what your church needs in your specific ministry context. And again, please take some time and even go back to that last episode. And for this episode, like those episodes on, uh, if you see this on social media or in your podcasting app, like it, subscribe to the podcast, review it for us, share it so that other people and other church leaders can hear this very, very important uh, topic of conversation. And the more that you share it, the more subscribers and reviewers that we've got, uh, the more that the the, the podcasting uh, apps and platforms will make sure that gets pushed out to, to more people just like like you. So if you do that for us, I think that'd be great. And I think your colleagues would appreciate it as well. Absolutely. Josh, tell us what you've got going on over at Church General Council. Well, let me tell you a little bit about our hotline suite. You know, a lot of pastors really don't need an attorney on retainer for their church. They really just need somebody that they can call for a quick answer to a question. Uh, And so one of the services that we offer is a hotline. And so for just $8.49 a month, you'll have access by email or phone to our church lawyer hotline, and you can get quick answers to your questions. You're also going to get access uh, to all of the webinars that we do. Normally, the cost to attend that webinar is $14.99. So if you attend seven of the 40 or so webinars that we're going to do in a year, this is really going to pay for itself. Uh, Our webinars are fully interactive, so you really don't want to miss out on those things. And then for $24.99 a month, uh, you can get all of those things plus some free document review and access to our sample policy manual online. And then if you go one step further for $39.99 a month, you'll get all that plus some custom document drafting and expanded access hours to a church attorney. So each level that you move up also moves you up on our priority lists in terms of getting you taken care of. So you want to go check that out at churchgeneralcouncil.com. That's our hotline suite. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Law & Church. Make sure you check out lawandchurch.com for all the resources, show notes, links. Everything is available for you there. And if you'd like to connect with us, go over to facebook.com, search the Church Esquire Club. There's all sorts of opportunities for you there. And thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week.